0: Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show, a roughly one-hour, unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study between a group of genuine misfits transformed by God's grace. My name is Zach Adams, a Christ follower, husband of one, father of three, a man incredibly blessed to pastor the greatest church around, Calvary 316, which is located just outside of Athens, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about our simple church, uh, check out our website, which is calvary 316. Uh, dot com. You can also watch our service Sunday at 1030 by checking out calvary316.live. As always, I'm joined in the studio by the man that needs no introduction, the maestro behind the madness, the producer of this dysfunction, my partner in crime. Uh, Dick Dastardly, as we're referring <laughs> <Hello>. to him. Hello, <laughs> Mr. Creighton Vaughn, How are yes, you? Bud? I am doing
1: well. Hello. So the Dick mustache, dastardly
0: indeed. The mustache is continuing its uh, to, to progress, to develop, to thicken. It we is get, still growing. Yes. We got some glory happening. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: How are you? I am doing well. It is a very nice day. I am doing very well. It's yeah. you know another beautiful day on God's green earth. Yeah. Well, blue,
0: depending on where you're looking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he, he's happy because he went on a date. But that's a whole other topic that we won't get into, right? Yeah, let's not just start. Do you
1: have to? <laughs> let's not. you. Any anything. He's real happy because he's like, I,
0: I actually did go out on a date with a real human female. Yes, a human female, grit. which is important. The sky was blue today. The breeze hit my face in a way like it typically doesn't. I don't know if it'll work out or not, but man, I feel good. There is hope.
1: Yeah, the hope is that she doesn't watch this, right? Well, <laughs> my goodness. Okay. Almost well, heavier. it's
0: uh, you know, it's it's my fault. Otherwise, so we actually even haven't talked about any of this, but I just thought that'd be a really funny way to uh, to segue. No, I appreciate I explain it. Explain to the audience the interactive nature of the Outlaw Radio Show because it's a it's a essential component. So. Our radio
1: is interactive because I have a love life and Zach likes to air it on <laughs> the uh, podcast so that you can interact with it. You have very um,
0: little love life
1: <laughs> and yet it comes up a weird amount. It's true. No, <laughs> it's
2: very um, true. You telling me? You tell the the, the you single every time. Oh my gosh! You haven't oh. been introduced. My oh my, my bad. My bad.
0: <laughs> the peanut gallery over here hadn't even been introduced. Yet. Every time, Y'all, man.
1: You close out with he's single, yeah. ladies. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we are on YouTube and Facebook. Um, there's a comment section to your right. If you post something in there, like our good friend Jennifer, who said good evening, Jennifer to us. Abbott. Yes. Hey, fantastic. You get a shout out. And if it's a question or something, we'll talk about it. If it's a comment that you want us to talk about, um, or if we say something ridiculous or inflammatory that you would like to yell at us about, uh, you can put that in the comments. It'll be fun.
0: And we'll probably actually add those more into the show than anything else, really. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't get enough of those, regrettably. I'd like to get more, you know, vitriol from people (laughs) I don't know. All press is good press, right? <laughs> you know, all right. press is press. Well, you know they've they've jumped the gun. Uh, Just but one join of us. joining oh, us nice. joining us in the studio this evening um, is the same uh, the three amigos. Uh, we've got Nicholas Mani. That's me. Uh, We've got Deal Daddy Derek, and we've got Justin Honeycomb. <laughs> Watch out for the sting! Watch <laughs> out for the sting! So last last week we were trying to come up with a nickname and oh. and we're leaning towards Justin Honeycomb. Uh, I, I don't know if that's gonna stick or I'm not. I'm sold, but, but, but stick, <laughs> honey. Oh, oh. Stick. Well, well, I see what you did there. Watch out for the sting. Anyway, <laughs> watch out for the sting. You've said that twice. It still hasn't sounded right either time. Watch out for the sting. But the, the, more, st- watch out. the more I say
3: it, the more potential there it is. It sounds is like you're
0: a, like a WWE wrestler. Justin Honeycomb, watch out for the sting. I have been <laughs> accused <laughs> of being one before. Yes. <laughs> 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 All right, well, let's uh, let's move oh, this dysfunction Lord. forward. Uh, if you are new to the show, uh, as Creighton, uh, as we've already pointed out, the show's dying to be... Interactive, and it's also a conversation. That's why these guys are in the studio. Uh, Beyond all of that, what makes the Outlaw Radio Show different, um, and I would say unique, is that it is totally unscripted. It's a Bible study, yes. We're going to have a Bible study, uh, but it's completely unscripted. I have no idea what we're talking about this evening. The fellas, the three amigos, they've got no idea. The only person that knows what we're going to be talking about this evening is Creighton Vaughn. And so with all this out of the way, (laughs) Creighton,
1: what are we going to talk about tonight? So tonight we're going to talk about one of those topics that I really like um, and is important in apologetics and when you're getting into apologetics. Um, And it's one of the things that I think a lot of people won't think about unless they're in the apologetic sphere. And that is whether or not the Genesis narrative, like Genesis 1 and 2, is literal or figurative, and how we know
0: either way which one of those two things it is. Okay, before we actually dive into that, I, I, you know, you used a, a fancy kind of Christianese terminology term, uh, apologetics. Uh, define for me very quickly apologetics. What is apologetics? So apologetics is the defense of
1: our faith. It is basically the it is the study of how we defend our faith from people who are um, asking questions both in good faith and in bad faith. Wrong. All right, fine, then you answer
0: Apologetics is winning the the argument but losing the soul. That is the official definition of Christian apologetics. Oh, is it? Yes, yes, Christian apologetics. Um, But you're right, I kid. (laughs) Fellas, before I start to kind of unpack this, uh, Justin, I know you have a lot of background in, um, in some, some of these type of things that, that would make this a very relevant topic for you. Uh, fellas, uh, before again I get into this, uh, something that we did last week that, that we got good feedback on, uh, why don't you guys, before I dive in, share some thoughts, Apologetics, the book of Genesis, its importance, just before we get into anything in, in particular, Blank Slate, what are your thoughts? I mean, Genesis is supposed to be the beginning. So
2: I guess the question is like, how does Genesis one and two is, how is it validated and how do we validate it with other people? And, and my, excuse my ignorance of what apologetics is in and of itself. But like that, I mean, that is like, okay, this guy created the heavens and the earth, the one through seven days and then Adam and Eve and describing all that. So bringing that to validity, is that what the question is?
1: uh yeah essentially it's yeah. how we it's because it, you look at it one of two ways which i'm sure that you'll get into yeah, whether it's figurative it. yeah or whether it's literal. literal and if if genesis is literal we have to deal with that mm-hmm. because everything in popular science disagrees with genesis yeah um so my question is whether or not it is literal or figurative so genesis um, was the it.
2: big bang and it all started at God's breath for the, <laughs> the first You
1: know what it's a valid, that's about argument. We'll see. We'll see if that's how it turns
2: Justin, out. Justin,
0: again, you have some background into into the defense of the faith, uh topics of the, you know that are controversial, unpacking those, proving those. Any any thoughts just from the jump here? I'm pretty excited about this topic cuz I, I built my whole education
3: on apologetics. I went to secular school, so people couldn't say, "Hey, your degrees don't count." Uh, I wanted to be challenged so I I went to those secular schools and I had to know <laughs> and I was challenged I had to I had to know what I believed and had to test that that faith and that was part of it before uh, for me because I'm, I'm I guess you could say I'm scientifically minded I, I have I have to have proof for something and and this is the big one. So, well, let's give
0: just because you're, you're you've been on the show, but you're still relatively new. Give a little bit of your background as far as your education goes, because you brought that up and how these things kind of all tied together in your educational. pursuits. All right, so my
3: bachelor's degree is in uh, anthropology, which is the study of human cultures. Uh, and I, I specifically chose archaeology, which is a subsect of anthropology um. So archaeology is a study of past human cultures uh, through their material remains. Um, and then my master's degree is in archaeology, uh, mainly Middle Eastern archaeo- archaeology. So uh, I had to study the Bible. uh, went to Tel Aviv universities, but I, I studied, the, I guess, what would it be the Torah. I didn't go in the New Testament too much. And, uh, yeah, so it was, I'd been to different places and then, part of human culture is the beginning. So where do we come from? Things like that. And so I've studied evolution, human evolution pretty extensively. Um, and so it's,
0: it's an interesting ride along I'm the sure. way to get to where I am. So I'm sure. Uh, well, let's, let's dive into this particular topic. I um, mean, let's try to unpack it um, from a few different angles. So again, the question uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about today, um, isn't just so much about, um, you know, can we trust that the Genesis narrative is literal? Why is that important, and how does that then tie into the defense of the faith? I think those are kind of the three components, um, to this particular issue. Would you Would you agree with that assessment, Creighton? Just Just kind of from the angle. Yeah, yeah, that's a good breakdown. Well, let's start. Let's start by talking about why the book of Genesis, and I, and I would say more importantly, a literal reading of the book of Genesis, um, is important to our Christian faith, um, and by default, why it ends up being um, attacked by, by secular scientific forces. Um, to begin with, the book of Genesis makes several claims of fact um, that, that run counter to the scientific consensus for example the scientific consensus is that the material universe um, is eternal that it's always been and that it has gone through various phases of of evolution um, by which we are here whether it's uh, dark matter proto matter the big bang our universe kind of spontaneously you know exists uh over time, planetary alignments, the development of life on Earth, uh, the the existence of life, the the development of life, the the evolution of life, uh, how humanity came. I mean, what what is taught in the secular institution? I, mean, I would even go back even further than the secular institution, just just as far as higher learning or the universities, but high school is taught in high school. The theory of evolution um, seeks to. Uh, present a scientific explanation for the the material world and the existence of life and humanity apart from there being a God. It is, uh, again, secular. It is godless. And it is seeking to provide a, a scientific explanation um, that removes the book of Genesis. Again, the reason that the book of Genesis is important and attacked in the way that it is is that if you remove the book of Genesis from the Bible you really don't have the story of redemption. And I know that might sound for, for the novice kind of kind of odd, but, but, but roll with me here. You know, the big, the big character of the story is Jesus. Like, that's where it all kind of culminates. Jesus, uh, God, becomes flesh, dwells among us, remains sinless, dies an unjustifiable death, ends up being uh, atoning for our sin. He's the, the, the mechanism by which we're saved. Saved from sin, but without the book of Genesis, like you have no context for what sin is. Uh, how did this problem develop? Like the book of Genesis seeks to answer. It is the book of beginnings. It is the beginning of all of our theology. Uh, there is no uh, there is no theology developed within Scripture that doesn't have its origin um, in the book of Genesis. From salvation to atonement to redemption to the sacrificial system. It's interesting, you know. We we talk about the law, right? The law you know, being that first big revelation of God to men. What's, what's crazy is that when Paul is writing to justify this, the, the gospel of grace, uh, he goes through the law back to where? He goes back to the book of Genesis. Like you read through Galatians or Romans, uh, some of Paul's quintessential letters developing this theology of grace, he's always scripturally going back to the book of Genesis as his biblical basis for what he's articulating. On all kinds of topics. You know, the, the, you know he, he, he's talking about the priesthood. Does he go back to, you know, Aaron? Does he go back to the Levitical line? No. Where does he go? When he's talking like the author of Hebrews goes where? Genesis. We go back to Genesis. We go back to this crazy character Melchizedek and his interactions with Abraham. And we're talking about like the idea of giving a tithe. Like where does the idea of a tithe come from? Uh, is it the law? Now, the law has a lot to say about the tithe. But no, the tithe originates when Abraham, of the spoils, tithes a 10% to Melchizedek. That's the origins of the tithe. The idea of the, sacri- the sacrifice. Like, where is the, where is the concept of the sacrifice? The importance of the sacrifice and atoning for sin? Um, yeah, no doubt it's mentioned in the law. It's developed in the law. But, but where does it originate? It originates in Genesis chapter 4. You know where, like, why is Cain and Abel, you know, coming to make an offering, and why would God accept one and the other, and and how is all of that, you know, like there's a there's a constancy within theology, um, again that the law no doubt builds on, but it's all rooted back, you know, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, the idea of the promise of a savior, the development of the Hebrew people, like all of like if you don't have <laughs> the Book of Genesis. None of the Bible really makes any sense. Okay, so Jesus came to atone for sin, and, and, and okay, how about this? Why is it important for Jesus to be born of a virgin? Well, you go back to Genesis three when God makes this promise in the midst of these, these curses, where he's where he's telling the consequences of sin to the man, and he's telling the consequences of sin to the woman, labor and childbirth. He gets to Satan, and he's like, "I'm going to send a savior, the seed of the woman." You'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. Like, he will be the ultimate remedy to this problem. It's the first messianic reference. Um, why the Hebrew people? Or well, you go to this division of, of Isaac being the son of promise and Ishmael. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. That whole concept that Paul writes about extensively. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. When Paul talks about that, he points back to Abraham. And a son that was provided by faith, a miracle, a work of God, Isaac, were there in their old age. And and Ishmael, where Abraham took uh, control of the situation, tried to speed God's plans along on his own. Beyond that, again, the book of Genesis, aside from just making Scripture make sense, I'll throw another one out, Enoch. Like Jude talks about Enoch. You'd be like, I have no, like, what are you talking about? I mean, half the time we're still like, what are you talking about? Right, but apart from, Enoch? I mean, the book of without imagine again, I, I will say from a practical, like illustrative standpoint, you know, if you, if you jump to like the third Lord of the Rings book or movie without the first two, you would be completely lost. Like, like at no point would the movie make any sense whatsoever you have to have all three. The book of Genesis establishes this this bedrock by which the rest of the Bible uh, builds upon, which is why it's attacked the way that it is. Because if it's true and if it's literal, well, then there's major implications. If we can erode trust, uh, you know, if if we can, if we can attack, uh, splinter, um, disrupt people's confidence in the book of Genesis, well, then it's the foundation upon which the rest of the house sits. If the foundation is damaged, the foundation crumbles, uh, th- there's no house upon which it stands. Instead of it being a rock, now we're on sand, and we have major major complications, major issues. Uh, even down to like, you know the existence of, of the spiritual realm um, that we have Satan, Lucifer, we have these cohorts of fallen angels and demons. like the spiritual dynamic. like without the book of Genesis, we have no context for that whatsoever. Um, you know, it's, it's not relatable. It's not even understood. Again, the book of Genesis very central, which is why it's attacked uh, the way that it is. So it's important. It's not only important just by which, uh, being the foundation, how we understand the Bible, but the book of Genesis is important by which, by which I think we make sense of the world around us. Um, again, it runs contrary to the way in which the world or the theory of evolution presents, but I think it's 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 an important contrast. For example, you know, if if as the theory of evolution posits that we are nothing more than um, an accident, like that we are that life itself, and more specifically human life, is so statistically improbable, it's impossible, but it happened, which is what the theory of evolution. Posits. There is no God. We are the byproduct of random chance. There's nothing that makes us distinct. There's nothing that makes human life unique or special. Uh, we're born, we live, we die. That's it. We're part of a cycle. We're at the mercy of things beyond our our control, but are beyond control. That we're that we're we are the order born out of chaos. But there is nothing beyond the chaos. Um, in such an outlook where you remove God from the origins of, of humanity or the involvement of humanity, you're left like Darwinianism presents the, the, the framework by which you get all kinds of really terrible human institutions um, justifying all kinds of atrocious acts. Communism, the atheism, the removing of God from society, the worship of the secular state killed 100 million people in the last century. You created a theology where there was no value in human life. This is about the survival of the fittest. Again, central to Darwin's theory that in order for us to evolve, elements within the species that are the weakest must die out in order for those that are strong to procreate and develop stronger uh, you know, demonstrations or elements of the species. It was the complete Darwinism. The theory of evolution was the entire justification behind you know Hitler's social experiment, the development of the of the great race,
1: eugenics,
0: eugenics, the Holocaust. Um In order for you know the Third Reich to emerge and this utopian society, the Jews who had been detrimental or at least presented that way had to be exterminated, and any components that would that would erode that. You know I, I, one of one of my favorite TV shows. I wasn't a big fan of, of of kind of how it all ended up, but A Man in the High Castle is a hypothetical story. It was an Amazon show, but there was an alternate universe in which Hitler won. He didn't die. The Allies lost. America gets divided between um, on the West Coast. You know the the Empire. You know Imperial Japan. Uh, the Rockies are kind of a line of demarcation, and then the whole East Coast is run by. Um Nazism, it's run by Hitler, it's run. It is the Third Reich. And so it, what's interesting is that it kind of takes certain of these ideals that Hitler had as being essential to what he was trying to create, and it carries them out to their end. and there's a there's a storyline. And again, if I spoil something for someone that's listening, I apologize. Statues of limitations have passed, but like one of the main characters is like very high up in the Nazi party, and his son, who is a diehard Nazi, um, who's a teenager, finds out that he has this incurable disease, like this genetic de- defect. And his dad now immediately starts going into a planning mode in which how can I like protect my son you know, from, from what would be required because he's got a, g- a genetic defect we've got to eliminate that for a superior race and then what happens is that the son ends up turning himself in because he's believing he's part of a higher ideal. And then the funeral that they have is the creepiest thing ever because it's not the celebration like he's dead, it's the celebration of how his life uh, benefited the collective whole. Again, just a very warped sense of humanity, but it's humanity void of God because it discounts what we're told in the book of Genesis. Like the book of Genesis has repercussions because if there is a God and that God was was pitifully involved in our creation, like we are created, we didn't evolve, we're created, and thus there's intention, and, and it's not, and that he wants to be involved, like there's ramifications the book of Genesis says that humanity is not just part of creation, but is placed unique from creation and dominion of creation, uh, distinct in the fact that we are created in the image and likeness of God, which explains why we have uh, you know, kind of a triune nature, a trichotomy as opposed to the rest of the animal kingdom, that there's part of us that lives forever, that we have a conscience. Very interesting. Again, the book of Genesis provides explanations um, for what we see scientifically, again, Justin, you can probably speak to this, but like, you know, there are some really crazy anomalies we see in the physical world, um, things that don't make a lot of sense, um, even evolution and its best still like the, the way that the way in which we have like she's uh, like shells on the top of the Himalayas. It's, it's unexplainable. Like there's all kinds of like interesting anomalies that we have that actually have a better explanation if there was a global flood, which the Book of Genesis, you know, pr- you know presents the argument for. Justin, you got any examples, just kind of off the top of your head? Yes, I do. All right, jump, <laughs> jump in here. Jump in. Uh, here. Before we get
3: started, there's a lot of uh, stuff that a lot of Christians say to the uh, to the extent of things like, uh, if evolution is real, then why are there still monkeys? Uh, kind of I stuff. hate it when people say I, that. Uh, do your research. Don't just listen to what I'm saying. Uh, first off, do your own research on this. It's out there. There's answers out there, and I—that's I, why I like to tell everybody with apologetics: make it your own, because uh, ultimately it is your faith, and and you need to you need to strengthen that faith. Uh, and the foundation of Genesis is. It's the foundation, it's the first book. Uh and and without that being true, it, it, it kind of just throws a wrench into everything. And you have a lot of young people leaving the leaving the church and stuff because their foundations
0: were not there. It's one of those things where, you know, when you do get into the book of Genesis, and and this is another component of what you were what you were asking, Creighton, is the book of Genesis literal or is it figurative? um if it's figurative then um you know like the, the the creation poem then you know like what again then is the basis of our faith like if it's figurative um, then then what is literal and what isn't figurative yeah. um you you have to operate you know bibliology you have to operate on certain premises uh, the bible's very clear of letting you know what is figurative it'll tell you when it's speaking figuratively It'll tell you when it's presenting an allegory. Um, but then it also speaks, even within the original language, very literally. Um, the book of Genesis, there's nothing um, within the way that it's structured, presented, or written um, that tells you it's to be seen as allegorical or figurative. Everything about it is is written and compiled, presented, as as literal history. Now, whether you want to accept it as literal history or reject it, that has implications to your faith and your greater understanding of of the natural world and the spiritual world. That's such a large conversation, it's hard to get into the full ramifications of it. But there is nothing about the book of Genesis that that indicates it's not to be seen as literal. I am a literalist. Um, I believe that God created in six days. Now, there are... Certain nuances that I can concede. Um, evening and morning are the first day. Uh, we're given the definition of a of a day. Um, at the same time, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. And then we go through the the the, the, the material world. But then, but, but wait a second. In the first two verses, we kind of already had the material world. What's happening here? And then you can get different kinds of theories—the gap theory, the, the the things that I don't believe in—but there are all kinds of interesting explanations, etc., uh, for various things. I believe in a six-day creation. I said God spoke, matter existed, and then what we have is the organization of matter in six days. Why did God do six days? Well, then now you're getting into a, a real philosophical issue, like why does God do anything that God does? Um, you know, why six days? Well. You know, why send your son through the birth canal? Like, you know, I mean, you want to play the why God game. You get into some weird stuff. Um, God in his wisdom did it. He establishes, by the way, the week. Six days he worked, seventh day he rested. Again, Paul talks extensively, we find, about the Sabbath. You know, the day of rest. Again, where where does it originate? Does it originate in the law? No, it goes back to the creation narrative. God establishes this, this principle of working for six resting on the seventh. And again, this is a, a bigger picture of a lot of other things, but, but I believe in a very literal uh, creation account. And yes, that means that I believe that man and dinosaurs lived at the same time. The Bible doesn't tell me anything otherwise. I think the progression of the, the narrative, the way that we had the genealogies, again, you don't include genealogies if you're wanting something to be read figuratively. It's, it's, these are literal people, literal age, Ages And there's a lot of explanation for some of the weird things that we find. Well, why were they living to such great ages? Well, I believe that that there was probably a supercontinent and that there was a, a, a canopy of water vapor. It explains the water coming from beneath and the water coming from above. And if you had a canopy of water vapor, what breaks down human cells and tissue? It's UV rays. If you have a canopy of water vapor, you have a temperate climate, you have the protection of this. There's all kinds of explanations. Again, the book of Genesis gets attacked because um, if it's true, it has implications. The implications being there is a God that God did create, that God does have a plan and a purpose, and that there therefore is an accountability. Which is why, again, from an apologetic standpoint, you can't you can't not address you know you can't not address the book of Genesis. You have to address it because it's the bedrock. But it's why you have to take concepts back to the, their origins. Why do we have marriage? Well, we have marriage because of what happens in Genesis, the establishment of marriage. So if we're going to have a conversation about marriage, we've got to go back to the origins, the institutor of marriage, that being God and, and Adam and Eve. Gender, which is a hot-button topic. Like, if you're going to have any conversation in society about gender, you have to, again, go back to uh, the book of Genesis and the development of gender, Uh and, and how all that took place. The Bible provides br- brilliant and, I think, beautiful explanations. Um, I, I want to transition to a certain component of this because I'm going to try to illustrate this in a second. But I, I want you guys to be able to jump in here real quick um, on any questions that you might have or insights that you might have just about the importance of the book of Genesis, um, things of this nature. So let's start with maybe uh, Nick. You haven't jumped into the conversation yeah. at all.
4: I would say, I mean, it's probably the most important thing we can study if you're first coming into i mean being a christian or studying the bible or just learning about it i think after what you've said now what i know about it i would say it's probably the most fundamental like passages of scripture we can study because without it we have no foundation like Absolutely. and it just and it's never struck me as that either until now until you actually talk about it and think about it it's just like Wow, it really does have that
0: many implications. Were on you it. were you going to Calvary three sixteen when I taught through Genesis? Yes, so so you were you were there yes. for some of that. You know, that was one of the 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 big like light bulb moments for me. I yes. was teaching through the book of Galatians. It was titled "Outlaw Church," which is the origins of Outlaw Radio. What life outside of the law, what life in grace, really looks like. And as I'm going through the book of Galatians, just kind of prayerfully considering, like, well, what you know, what will I do after this? Um, it just kept dawning on me that, like, when the Apostle Paul is trying to biblically justify this theology of grace, like, he doesn't go to the law. He goes back to Genesis, the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so my series I titled uh, The Genesis of Grace because ultimately that, that's... Like, even Adam and Eve, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating when you go back and you re- revisit the story. You know, Eve ate of the fruit um, and then Adam was left with a choice. We don't talk about that. Adam could have been like, yo, babe, you're on your own. You just really messed up. Like, I ain't, you know, God said not to do that. You did that. Um, you can you can kind of roll with that on your own. But he didn't. <laughs> you know, Adam, what did he do? He ate of the fruit. And in a sense that Adam was willing to kill himself, to lay down his life, uh, to save his bride, you know, so that his bride wasn't alone. And there's a picture of Jesus there, isn't there? Like the that Jesus was willing to lay down his life to to become sin to save us in our sin. You know, again, they're just all throughout the book of Genesis. It's just grace and grace and grace and grace and grace. Again, Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, not when he was righteous, not when he was good. He was a a pagan, godless um, Gentile. And yet God picked him, chose him, called him, and then the story of Abraham, who is the father of our faith, is about more of his failures than his successes. <laughs> but what made him righteous? He believed in a promise, the promise of a Savior. Again, the book of Genesis, without it, we don't, we don't really have much. No, we don't. Again, which is why I think, you know, if you had to pick one book of the Bible that gets attacked more than any other book by the secular world, that, the number one on the list is the Book of Genesis, Yeah. without question. You want to go with number two, you want Revelation. Uh, no, That's I don't what think I Revelation would say too. But I don't think Revelation. See, probably Matthew. You're close, and I'm not going to go with Matthew. No, no. Seriously though, from an academic standpoint, uh, the the Book of the Bible that that Leviticus? gets attacked in academia more than the Book of Genesis. Oh, in
3: academia, probably Kings or something. The Romans. Book of Daniel. 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 Wow.
0: And and it's and it ties into the Book of Revelation, but Daniel, half of it is all prophetic. Yeah. And 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 it's interesting that, that Daniel has prophecies about the end that are very specific, very radical. But then he has prophecies that we've seen fulfilled in the detail in which he presents them. You know, if you don't destroy the book of Daniel and you accept it as is, then as a secular individual, as someone that's got, like, you have a big problem. Like, how does he describe these things apart from the supernatural? So, again, the book of Daniel gets attacked like it. Like it does. Derek, what what are kind of some of your thoughts here uh, just about the, the topic and kind of where we're going here?
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing about Genesis is that, like we were saying, it is the foundation. So if there's no foundation and Genesis isn't true, then you can just discredit everything else. If it's constantly referred back to Genesis, I mean, like that's how God intended for everything to be. And obviously sin was introduced and then we have the rest of the Bible. But like it's so constantly referring back to that, like it would make sense that you would tear that apart first because that is the foundation. That's the base of what we base everything else off of. So that makes sense. But Nick, being in construction, if you want to destroy
0: a house in a hurry, you know, what's the easiest way to do it? Yeah, tear down the foundation. Yeah, you, if you, you can get you, to it, <laughs> yeah, you attack you the foundation. Oh yeah, you weaken the foundation. You weaken one
4: spot of the foundation, the whole house is probably going down. The whole
0: house is in trouble. Which is again why we have to defend the Book of Genesis. Which is why it's important for us to trust that what the Book of Genesis is saying is true, and not just trust it blindly, but because of how a brilliantly it's written and how brilliantly explains what we see. And how I think easily def- defendable it is.
4: Another thing to think about that is construction. You don't build a house on sand.
0: That's true. You, <laughs> you build have it to on, have a foundation.
4: That's, you uh, you have it on stable ground, and that's what you were just saying. How defendable it is. So it's a strong foundation. Uh, built imagine on the, strong ground.
0: Imagine the Bible with, like, without the Book of Genesis. So like the first book of the Bible is Exodus. You know. Oh. Wow. And it's yeah. like you open up Exodus and you have. This group of of this ethnic group living in Egypt in captivity and slavery. Why are they leaving? Like I mean, there's like like (laughs) you have so many questions. It would be like you know not having the Gospels and just getting to the Book of Acts, and you're like, wait, what? Like, huh? Who is this Jesus guy? Yeah. You know, why does this Saul guy hate them so much? Yeah. (laughs) Um, The beginning. You got to have the beginning. Justin. You want to add something?
3: Uh, Yeah, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, always my go-to guy. uh, He said, if the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there was no light in the universe, therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know that it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. You have to start at the beginning to know just like we were talking about before, the foundation, where does sin come from? Things like that. And and to establish, from my point, is a lot of science behind Genesis. Where's the evidence for it? If this big enough thing happened, there should be enough evidence out there to, for me to say, yeah, this this, this this happened. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, and, and And I think there needs to be an established thing. And I think that's where apologetics comes into play is it's not a lot of people take it too far and they do argue to the point of making people angry and going away from the faith. But I think it needs to be established for people. A lot of people I know, if you don't show them scientific evidence for something, they're not, they're not going to believe, Oh, the Bible says so. That's why you should believe it. They want to hear the Bible says this, here's the evidence to to prove that. And, and that's why it's important to study Genesis and study apologetics from that aspect of things. In, in my opinion,
0: let me, uh, Creighton, you wanted to say something. Yeah, real quick.
1: I I totally agree because I I really like biology. That was my thing growing up was biology, um, and I totally agree that like, when in certain circles, you have to be able to back up your faith with, like, secular science. So that, like, people aren't just like, ah. Like, if somebody were to tell me that, I don't know, the Quran said that we all came from a meteor striking the earth a billion years ago, I'd be like, oh, cool. Like, I don't care. What do you mean? It's the Quran. I don't care. Like, if you could show me a picture of the meteor, it might change my mind. Um, but, like, if I don't care what the Quran says, which I... If we're trying to reach the world, a lot of the people of the world don't care what the Bible says.
3: Right. Yeah. And then coming you know I mean? coming from a historical standpoint, just human culture, there should be stories that line up with what the Bible says these big mm-hmm. events happened. Mm-hmm. Guess what? There are. Yeah. There are extra biblical stories of things that match up pretty close. Global flood
0: yeah. is an easy one. Global exam. flood Global is an easy point. one. I mean when there's the, some when the yeah, sun the... stood
1: still in Joshua. Mm-hmm. Don't I wouldn't no, is that one hard to pull? Pre- well, I thought had, that uh, was a thing.
0: Mm, well, that's yeah. the book of Joshua
2: we're talking about Genesis. Yeah. To what about start the chariots a, but, like, across but, the sea when they found like the chariot? I wouldn't even go stuff. that one. That that mm-hmm. one's subjective. There's not yeah.
3: enough evidence. I mean, it'd be cool if they we found the We can stay harder. with yeah. the flood. Let's yeah. go yeah. back to the flood. The flood. <laughs> Stick with the flood. That one has the yeah. most evidence. Yeah, one's for got a lot. geological, historical. Everything, a, a genomical—I don't know how to like the diversity of species. Wow. It it all goes back to the flood because it's it's kind of hard to prove the Garden of Eden because it got wiped out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, but you know, there's stories from everything from you know you, the, the the standard one of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's it has an art or somewhat of a big boat and a giant flood. But there's one from the. Uh, uh, a tribe in, in Australia, uh, the Nam Yeah, you said bai. that right. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> did. type. Don't butcher that one. <laughs> one of my favorites, though, is out of China is uh, the uh, the Mao people. Uh, the uh, We know them as the, the Hmong uh, people here in the States. Southern China, northern okay. Vietnam, and stuff like that. They have a story uh, of a great flood... A man and his his three and his a man and his three sons. Uh, the man's name was Nua. Hmm. Uh, pretty and, close. And then his <laughs> his wife, uh, their sons Lohan, Loshen, and Jahu. Uh, I can see where you so, get that. Y- you know, it's and one of he, my favorite he built, dishes. <laughs> he built a big he built a big wide boat and uh, family animals and birds and he sent out a dove and stuff.
0: Yeah. Let me let, let wow. me get a and stuff. <laughs> There there are, there are all kinds of directions that we could go oh, with yeah. this conversation about you know this shouldn't. I, Creighton, I think your your question was more from the macro and not from like like let's let's now take the rest of the episode and get into the minutia of like different validating points of the book right. of Genesis. Minutia is fun. I'll come back yeah, in a let week me, of let research. Me, let me give two broad <laughs> examples of how I think the Book of Genesis um is useful. I'm going to start with more of the academic or the philosophical. Um, and then I'm going to get to the more very practical, like ways that apo- like within apologetics, how can we use the book of Genesis? Um, I-, I think the book of Genesis, like, you don't have to go any further than the first verse. In the beginning, God created. Really, you can stop there if you'd like. Like, what is, what is philosophically unpacked and articulated in, 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 the, in, that, in those few words is deeply profound. Um, you know, there is what's known as the law of infinite regress. The law of infinite regress, which is a philosophical thought, is that you know the the, the challenge of matter being eternal is that it means it it runs it runs two different directions eternally. Um, the problem with matter always existing forever is that it's impossible to filter through an infinite series of moments to ever get to today. Um, a great uh, illustration of that would be, you know, it's impossible to get to page, you know, 232 if the book itself, um, is, is being written infinitely both directions. Like you could never filter through an infinite series of pages to get to one page, uh, or, or as it's, as it's illustrated, this is probably the easiest. It's impossible to jump out of a bottomless hole. Like you, you have to, you have to reach a bottom in order to start, um, In the beginning, so the Bible immediately affirms a beginning, a starting point, God, which then affirms that in the beginning, God already was, which uh, philosophically, um, the law of infinite regress demands what is known, and and this is going to be a kind of a loaded term, an uncaused cause, meaning by definition, um, the universe demands a cause that set everything into motion that could not have been caused. Um, It's why we kind of get to the Big Bang that, you know, just, you know, boom, everything kind of spontaneously came into into existence. And then logically, it's like, well, then where did that come from? Like, what started that? And you start working backwards and you get to a point where there's no explanations um, within the scientific community. Biblically saying is you can say, well, I mean, I can tell you how the Big Bang happened. God spoke and bang, it happened. That philosophically, you had to have an uncaused cause. You had to have something outside of the, of the system, something that's eternal, something that is, is independent, that is separated. God, in the beginning, there was God. God was, God is. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. He's always been. And he started this thing that he spoke. And again, what is the genesis? God said, let there be light. And there was light. God created all things out of nothing that God is the originator of all things, this uncaused cause. And so when you're having a conversation with individuals, with people, and and you're talking, you know, philosophically, you're in academia, you you get into these root issues. Well, wait a second, if evolution is true, like, let's get to the bigger questions. That means matter is eternal, but how can matter actually be eternal? There has to be fundamentally a beginning for us to even be in the moment we're in. And the Bible actually answers that question, whereas the, the theory of evolution doesn't. The scientific community doesn't have an answer. But the Bible provides one. In the beginning, there was God. God uh, was not created. God was. God is. There has to be an uncaused cause for anything to be from a philosophical standpoint. I know that gets that gets weighty, that gets heavy. That's all in the mind, and that's true. But we can use the book of Genesis to argue and build cases um, in, in the the realm of intelligence and knowledge in the beginning, God and and God just wasn't there. God was actively creating. That's what the Bible says that God created. Now, again, does God use natural processes? Sure. He, he created them. You know, do we find uh, adaptations within the natural world? Sure. Um, is, is micro. Do we see evolution happening on a, on a micro scale? At, there's no question without a doubt. God created species, and then using these biological processes that we can witness, we have the development of all kinds of different animals within those individual species, depending upon where they end up geographically and and, and how they would need to adapt accordingly. God created. But that tells us something about humanity, that we are created. And that has an implication. Because if there is a creator then there is a, a moral law giver and there is an ultimate account like like we are ultimately accountable to something beyond ourselves like i'll segue to a very practical thing again apologetics using the book of genesis and a conversation with an unbeliever you can get into all these type of things and i have found i think ultimately they they end up proving fruitless you know, you're sowing seeds when, you, when, you're, when you're using the book of Genesis and you're arguing from an intellectual standpoint. You know, you're challenging scientific norms. A person, a person has to embark on their own quest, like Justin was talking about on his own. Someone's got to be skeptical, uh, challenges the norm, and then actually um, embarks on a quest for truth on their own, to try to be open-minded to it all. And I will promise you, if you go out and you study these things, uh, you seek, you'll find uh, the bible provides way more rational explanations for what we see in the natural world than than science does and we're told to trust the science but you know one of the great things i think about the pandemic in the last 20 months is we've we've been shown how how stupid scientists are and how they manipulate data and how they have agendas and how they're not always actually articulating the truth of something uh, but they're trying to push um you know non-scientific ideals. And we've seen that. So trusting the science. But, but I, I think this is important with the time that we have left. When you're talking with someone, you, know, you can use the book of Genesis to get like two deeper explanations for what people go through in the moment. It's like when a person is, like when you're talking to someone, and I'm using the book of Genesis, is like, do, do you not sense that there's something wrong with you? Yeah, I do. Like, I think people have a a built-in understanding of like, you know, I I do want to live a certain way, I just don't do it. And 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 the way that I live isn't good because the, the results aren't. Like I, I, I have a fundamental awareness that I hurt people I don't want to hurt. I do things I don't want to do. Like, I'm flawed.
1: Something is broken.
0: Mm-hmm. Something is broken. Now now what's what's interesting is is science doesn't provide you an explanation for for what is broken. It doesn't define it. It doesn't explain it. Um, it doesn't extrapolate or even or even wade into that particular that particular issue. In fact, science would say uh, you were born perfect, and and Freud would say that you've been corrupted by uh, you know the influences around you. That we're all born perfect, but we're quickly corrupted, and thus that is the essence. Like why are you so messed up? It's your parents. Or why are you so messed up? It's the neighborhood you grow up in. Or why are you so messed up? Well, it's, it's, it's the race and the stigmas around your race and the culture, et cetera. like, we find outward uh, explanations. Whereas, well, like, well, wait a second. Have you ever been around a baby? <laughs> like a baby's the most selfish, broken thing around, man. Like, like, and to me, I, you know, if you've ever heard me preach, there's a, an illustration that I use often. It's like, um, like, what do you find to be easier to do? Uh, the wrong thing or the right thing? Like guys, let me ask you. What is easier to do? The wrong thing or the right thing? Yeah,
4: the wrong, the wrong thing.
0: thing. Right. Through your experiences in life, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's it's a lot harder to do the right thing than it is to do the wrong. You thing. contemplate doing
2: the right thing significantly more than you do the wrong
0: the thing. The wrong thing. Yeah. Let's just maybe say it like this. The wrong thing comes naturally. Right.
2: It's the first thought
0: it's yeah. the it's the natural it's the natural thought. like you don't have to teach a kid how to lie they, they they're naturally pretty good at it. And in fact, as a parent, you have to teach a child how to tell the truth and the benefits of telling the truth. The lie is easy. The lie comes natural. The lie is quick escapism. But it's like, well, well, then what is the explanation for that? Like, why are we born? Or why do we have this natural tendency to do the wrong thing versus the right thing? That's a basic human experience. It's a relevant human experience. Science provides no explanation for it all. And then you can add, well, well what is a remedy? Do, do you better yourself or, are, or can you be bettered? And where do you find the, the ultimate explanation and the answer? Well, you go back to Genesis and it's like, well, you know, there's a very real temptation to submit and worship our creator or to seek to be our own creator, to be our own God, to be our own authority. And you can go back to the book of Genesis and say, you know, Adam and Eve, they had this dynamic, they had this decision. It's very relatable, isn't it? You know, does God really want what's best for your life or do you know what's best for your life? You know, are you going to trust God and his word that God maybe knows more than you or are you going to take on the God mantle and act on your own authority? for your own purposes. And what do we see happen as a result? Well, this is the explanation of death. It's the explanation of brokenness. It's the, it's it, it explains why humanity doesn't get along with each other. First two sons. One rises up and kills the other. It explains just the the challenges of of human society. Why one people group has animosity towards another people group. Like, yes, you can take the book of Genesis and you can get into the science, which is important. It's good. That's a good thing. But I think deeper, and, and to your question, Creighton, um, you, you can utilize, like the book of Genesis is important because um, it explains the human condition, and it points us to the, the remedy to the human solution. Mm. And that is that apart from God acting to save us, we're screwed. Yeah. And the book of Genesis establishes that and then the, the rest of the Bible builds off of it. Um, so again, I you know I, I tell people, you know when you when you're when you're teaching through the Book of Genesis or you're using the Book of Genesis, like you can get way lost in the weeds on the science. And sometimes, if if that's the audience, go for it. But what makes it more relevant is that it just it explains humanity, it explains people in a way that science doesn't, in a way science struggles with. I mean, Freud's theories were considered to be the golden rule. They are very much and in question today because they, they, the explanation didn't carry forth into the long-term human experience. And so we're back to square one trying to find out an explanation, trying to find out a reason, trying to find out a remedy. I'm broken. How can I fix this brokenness? The book of Genesis explains it and then sets you on a journey for for the remedy, which is why, again, I think it's such an important book and it's attacked the way that it is.
2: You guys got anything? Yeah, I think the beauty of Genesis is that no matter how much science can back it up, it still brings up the question of choice. Like, even from the very beginning, like, he, God gave Adam and Eve a choice. He was like, eat of all these fruits, eat of everything in the garden except this one tree. It never... Was he like? You are to serve me. You are to worship me and only me. He from the very beginning. He always gave them the choice. He's like, you can worship me and serve me, but you also have the choice to do this. And so, no matter how much the science will back up Genesis or not back up Genesis, whatever, you're still left with the choice to believe like this is the absolute truth or it's not. Yeah, hey, it's absolutely at the end of the day.
3: No, you're you're spot on. It's kind of human nature. You got talking about revelation you, you know at the end going to fight god they'll see him yeah. they're still going to try and fight him
0: yeah. <laughs> right even, even, i mean i mean there's no more evidence that you can ask for right yeah, Than no. jesus riding on a white horse in the sky to be like oh maybe there's some truth to this like maybe I a don't little know. maybe a little
2: the clouds are weird this year it could have just <laughs> right. been That's, something should have yeah. been
0: a <laughs> nick you know just kind of from from your standpoint you know, you, you don't exactly, one of the things I love about you is that, um, you don't really wade into these things very much. Like you were at a point of brokenness and, and Jesus spoke to you and you gave your life to him. like, it was a very simple thing. It was like, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to, I don't I need, I don't need answers to all these questions to know I messed up and he can fix me. And that's what I want. You know, for sure.
4: Just like you said in your closing that you can search all day long for an answer. You're never going to find one to better yourself other than diving in God's Word and submitting yourself to Him because that's the only remedy I've ever found, and I tried many
3: ways to do it myself. You got anything else, Justin? Uh, I guess some shameless plugs on places they can find info. Do that. Us. Throw,
0: throw okay. out some things. Yeah. <laughs> so some of the things
3: that got me through college, because I, 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 like I said before, I specifically chose secular universities. First two weeks, every time, every class, it was trying to debunk the Bible and the Christian faith.
0: You know, they don't do that with the Quran. You know, that's not like the first oh. two weeks like, Well let's 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 rip down this Muslim faith.
3: Right. No, almost every single class <laughs> that's what it was. And so I, I had to dig in and Did and, Did you
0: ever have a class that opened attacking the Book of Mormon? No. Right. Right. <laughs> uh
3: Answers in Genesis. Uh I, I think they for the the average person, they're a great ministry. Uh they they do things very well. Um if you're more Scientifically inclined and want better like research papers. They got Answers Research Journal. They they put out some really good papers. Uh, there's the uh, Institute for Creation Research, ICR They're very good. Uh, and then uh, my buddy works for a ministry called Reasons for Hope. Uh,
0: check him out, Dave Glander. Good guy. I would throw in a website, um, CARM, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, C A R M dot. I believe it's org. Um, a, a wonderful website. I've used it for years. Uh, just, you know, they're able to take complex questions and present very, right, very think, s- simple kind of answers. I think
3: CS Lewis uh, Institute, something like that, also has one.
0: Again, I'll reiterate what Justin said earlier. Like, if you want answers, they're out there. And 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 while I kind of skirted that particular element of this. Um, I mean, we could we could take the next ten weeks and start laying out like the top ten proofs for the book of Genesis. Spoilers. Um, there's now, already people. Yeah. Not what we're gonna do, but we don't have to because there's already people have done it. There's yeah. people that have done it, and that's and that's the thing. It's like um, if if you if you are struggling with whether or not the book of Genesis should be read as is real history, um, that's okay. Questions are not a bad thing. Um, what differentiates um, an unbeliever from a skeptic is that a skeptic is willing to go on a quest for truth an unbeliever um, is lazy and, and has questions but isn't interested in even seeking answers and there's a problem with that so um, go on a quest search for the truth Jesus promises you seek you'll find knock I'll open it's a promise it's a guarantee um, you can take that to the bank Creighton did this kind of land where you were wanting it to land tonight?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Justin, I thought you did a great job. I really enjoyed I, you getting in have, there. Yeah, I could have gone I've further, reluctant. but like,
3: <laughs> I I don't want to steal the show because it's not my show. And there's, like I said, there's Justin Honeycomb. There, don't get stung. <laughs> don't get stung. <laughs> <laughs> there's, like I was saying, there's already people that have presented this. And, and I, I just hate... Because in college, there's so many college students that go... They go there and they, they change their minds because they think their professors know everything. Mm-hmm. They don't. Mm-hmm. They're now, human. I can, I can attest to that. As They're a, human just like me. And you know what? And they're biased. It, but so am I. So yeah. they, whoever's listening to this, don't just take my word. Go, <laughs> The word of God has proven itself over and over again. Trust that. But anything Amen. I've said, go, go test it for yourself. Research it. It's simple. Absolutely. You have the world at your
0: fingertips. Literally these days. So we, na- we, we We landed where you wanted. Yeah, man. Nick, you got anything else? I'm good. You guys good? Yeah. Yep. I'm good. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. While the show is live streamed every Wednesday night at 8 p.m., uh, the audio is released the following morning, Thursday morning. If you've yet to subscribe, our podcast is hosted Apple, Google, Spotify, for quick links to the podcasts. Uh, simply visit outlawradio.org. Again, that's outlawradio.org. Uh, if you are already a podcast listener, uh, we would encourage you to join us uh, for the the live show, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. You can watch via our YouTube channel, uh, which is outlawradio.live, or by visiting facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Nick, Deal Daddy, Justin Honeycomb. Thank you guys for uh, taking time out tonight to hang out. Have fun. the show. Creighton, thank you for uh, handling the technology. Always a pleasure. And bringing the topic. I appreciate you. Once again, my name is Zach Adams, and I hope you join us this time next week for another episode of The Outlaw Radio. Good night, folks.